0: All right. I want to welcome everybody to episode 73, The Power of the New Creation, an interview with Chris Martinez. Now, before I introduce Chris, uh, I want everybody to know that I I recently, uh, I guess you could say, came into contact with Chris's story via a youth rally. Uh, Chris and I attend the same the same congregation, and I had many people, he was telling his story to these kids, I had many people come to me and tell me that I needed to have Chris on this podcast because his story was tremendous. So this will be a first for me here in the story too. Now, why would I put somebody on whose story I haven't heard? Well, because I trust the sources coming to me. That's why. And, uh, and at some point, you know, you just gotta, you gotta put out there and, and it sounds to me like Chris has a story worth telling. And, and like Chris and I were talking about just before, if it helps one person, it's a story worth putting out there and I'm excited to hear it. And I think you guys will get a ton from it because To me, what the parts that I've heard, like I said, I haven't heard the story, but the pieces that I was told exemplify new creation stuff. And I think you've heard me hammer it, hammer it, hammer it, move away from the sinner forgiven model, move into the new creation model. It's the actual scriptural model. So with that, Chris Martinez, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. And uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself. And if you want to move right into your story, go right ahead.
1: Okay. Well, hi, folks. My name is Christopher Martinez. Um, I'm a current resident in Manhattan, Montana. Uh, moved here a couple years ago um, based on a prayer. Um, and we'll get to that here in just a few minutes um, towards the end of the story. But um, it started back in in um, in 1980 when, um, of course, I was born in 1980. And then right around 84, um, that's my earliest memory is And my sister had passed away. Um, It was actually the night before she passed away. um, Me and my brother, my mom, were all uh, having some fun, throwing popcorn around. And, you know, it it was a really fun night. And, of course, the next morning, everybody wakes up and we just hear my mom screaming. Um, My sister had passed away in her sleep. She was only about three and a half months old. She had a hole in her brain. Um, and back then, you couldn't detect any of that stuff. Um, my my real dad was actually out robbing houses at the time. Um, he came, I guess he was just standing right outside when he heard my mom scream. He came in and realized you know, my sister had passed away. Um, from that point on, my mom went through a really bad depression. Um, with her depression, my dad had gone to jail for robbing the houses, of course, and drugs. Um, she got up and moved us to Sacramento and we were living kind of right next door to my grandmother, which she was a, a feisty, a feisty Mexican lady where, <laughs> <laughs> you know, any, anybody messed with their grandchildren, she'd be right there on, on any kids messed with us. Um, so we had turned around and lived there for at least about a year in Sacramento. Um, but right about five years old, my cousin Donnie had come to stay with us. Um, And that's where my mom was still in a really bad depression. She was sleeping all day long. Um, You know, she, of course, you know, her husband was in jail and, you know, she just lost a a child and it had to have been very, very hard for her. I can only imagine what it would be like for her. Um, She'd sleep all day. And then my cousin, when he came to stay with us, he started to molest me. And that happened for a good week. And he had actually tried to get my brother as well at that time. Well, my brother had went and told my mom. And my mom had, of course, you know, questioned me about it. And then she had called the cops. He took off running. Uh, she called the cops. And he went to jail for about six years from that point on. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we were constantly moving around. We were constantly um, back and forth from that time on. It even made my mom even more depressed because, you know, she's realizing that, hey, that couldn't have happened if, you know, she wasn't already depressed. So it, she just kept getting further and further into it. Um, and depression is a real, real sickness. It can it can affect anybody at any time. Um, we constantly moved around. Um, right around 2011, that's when my nana passed away. Um, and we were actually staying on my uncle's living room floor at that time. Um, My cousin Donnie had got paroled to the same house we were staying at again.
0: Oh, Um, Yeah. That's the system that worked for you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Back then the system was a lot different. So he got paroled back to that same residence. And so of course he had started giving us, he had pretty much six years to plan what he was going to do next. Right you know, how he was gonna get at me and my brother again. Um, you know, it was kind of more of like a revenge thing at that point. Um, and in between these times, give or take, I was always finding myself wandering around, being, you know, the lonely kid. And, and after my nonna passed away, I started really acting out. I felt alone, I felt lost. My mom still continued to sleep in. Um, and it was really, really hard without any kind of structure. Well, of course, with my uncle, or with living on his floor, my cousin getting out, he started giving us alcohol. That was the first thing, you know, give us a little bit of alcohol, and then he started putting drugs in our drinks. Um, so at eleven years old, I became an addict. Eleven years old, it, it's it's really really hard. Your mind's kind of really developing as of that point. It's kind of you know you you, you don't really know what to do, um, being up for days not knowing what to do, um, going crazy in your own mind. And, and let me tell you, being on drugs when you're trapped in your own mind can be just as bad as hell. Yeah, Literally, I mean, if, if, if I can imagine hell, that's, that's pretty much it, just being trapped in there and not knowing what to do or how to do it. Um, so we had turned around, and he kept continuous to give us the drugs. And that's when he started, of course, raping me and my brother over and over again. Mm -hmm. um i did try to tell my mom and my grandmother what was going on but he of course said well no they're on drugs you know and they blended on the drugs um i started acting out a lot a lot and then there was even a time where i even tried to kill him for him with a knife and i was acting out i was throwing tantrums um right when i turned 12 years old though his his friend was actually a cop and of course him being gay he turned around and had his cop friend had me committed to a hospital for of course acting out and trying to kill him because i was trying to tell people what he was doing Mm -hmm. um the first hospital i went to you know for about a week i was i was really 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 like crying and emotional and just I, i was coming down off the drugs and everything else um at the second part of the stay at the second week, I'd actually realized I was kind of safe there. You know, I was actually safe and they were feeding me and I was being good. And you know, they would, you know, take a swimming and stuff like that. Um,
0: you had structure
1: after I'd gotten, yeah, it it was structure. Exactly. It was something that I needed. Um, after I got out the second time or the first time, um, I of course, you know, he started doing it again. Um, and there was even times to where he even tried to take us away from my mom because of her depression. Mm-hmm. You know, he was trying to literally, you know, adopt us and stuff like that. And I'm just thinking the yeah. whole, wow. Like I look back at it now and I'm just thinking that could have been really, really bad. Yeah. Um, after the, the first time getting out though, I turned around and started acting out again a lot more, even worse than the first time. So they, they took me to this place called Van Nuys Hospital and i met dr sherpin which was a phenomenal doctor i mean he, he after being there for about a day he did a evaluation on me and he'd realized that there was something wrong that there was something more to the story that he didn't know about um and he'd asked me he's like hey has anybody touched you are you being hurt you know and then of course i just just in silence said nothing did nothing mm-hmm. And he's like you've already tried to tell somebody haven't you they didn't believe you he's like if you want to tell me i will believe you but if not i believe that something's going on with you more than meets the eye and you're welcome here anytime so throughout the you know few years um i went back 12 different times mm-hmm. and it, it, it's to the point to where they took us on outings. They had fun with us. They played games with us. You know, the staff was really friendly and spent time with us. So it was kind of like having a family, yep. you know, that was like I was protected and I was safe. Um, but during these times, I remember a lot of the times that my older brother had, had taken a lot of the abuse from my cousin for me. He had made sure that I was always away and gone. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, to this day, my brother is still missing. Nobody's heard from him since 2009. So nobody's seen him since 2003. Mm -hmm. So it's, the abuse took a lot bigger toll on him than anything. Um, it it was a continuous acting out though. It was continuously going for years. Um, It wasn't until I was right about 14 years old that my stepdad had came into my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and we became friends at first and then he got introduced to my mom and then it was like, Hey, you know, this, this guy is awesome. Like, you know, he's, he's, he's really protective and everything else. Um, there was one final time where we went out to a party, um, with my cousin and he brought me home and my stepdad, that's where it finally ended as of that point Mm -hmm. where he, and I can't even use the word stepdad. I want to use the words dad because blood does not defer people that care about you. People that are there for you. You know, he's I agree. like, absolutely. yeah, he's my dad.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, he, that final night though, he had pretty much told him, get away from him, leave him alone. He's fine. We got, him. you know, cause I've gotten injured. Um, and from that point on, the EPU's finally stopped. Um, I turned out to be a really good kid for, you know, the next couple of years, you know, and then of course my dad and and my mom had a baby together and he started stripping down the rules a little bit more instead of being more my friend. And I kind of rebelled a lot against him and I rebelled a lot and I put him through some hell literally for that. Like I, I made him you know, like sneaking out at night, sneaking my friends in, going partying, <laughs> drinking, and then always finding the drugs again, you know, yeah. and, and of course, he's like, you need to stop, you need to stop this, and ditching school. Um, it was up to a couple years afterwards to where I finally settled, stilling down more. Um, when right Battle was 18, um, my My first girlfriend had gotten pregnant with our first kid, which was Mason. And, um, of course I still found a way to get into drugs even more again. Um, there was one time where I was working so much, I was working up to 15, 16 hour days, 17 hour days to try to be that father that my father really wasn't. My, my real dad wasn't and try not to go down the same paths, but I would exhaust myself and go right back to the drugs. Um. Turn around, and I come home one day for lunch, and Mason's literally got her arms up, taking her first steps towards me, and I walk right past her. Just walk right past, and even even my ex had looked at me, and she's like, "Chris, she's walking. Like, look at her." And I felt so bad for that, and of course, it put me into a depression for realizing that I was doing exactly what my dad was doing. Mm Um eventually that relationship kind of came to an end, you know, um, a few months later, I found myself in the next relationship, um, always getting into trouble in between these times too, like always continuously going back. Um, when I got to the next relationship, of course, I got into that relationship using drugs and then I quit using drugs for a while. And then of course, somehow I just always found them again. They always found me. Turned around, and it got to the point where there was a lot of fighting, uh, fighting with parents, uh, fighting between us. Um, and, and and let me tell you, there, there was no God or, or Jesus or churches in our lives, and I had no structure. Once again, I thought I was just, you know, doing a good job. Um, it got to the point to where I was hanging out with these, these guys and not knowing that they were actually involved in a gang. You know, they, they just kind of kept that part quiet. Um,
0: well, of course, right after
1: we, had split, yeah, exactly. yeah. And then right after me and her had split up, of course, all the guys kept moved into my apartment and <laughs> it got to the point where, yeah, it got to the point where it was like, I was driving them around, they were doing their drug deals and they had turned around and it was constant fights between them and me throughout the night, every single night. It was a constant fight, constant fight, constant fight. Um, and then I'm talking fist fighting too. Yeah. Um, this happened for a while. Then eventually the power got shut off and everything. And I was literally just living there with no power, no nothing in a depression. Um, finally get up. I start changing my life around, you know, once again, start doing a bounce back. Um, mm-hmm. And finally moved into... That I really didn't feel too comfortable with because during the time that I was getting, you know, raped by my cousin, I reported my uncles for molesting my cousins. Yeah. And yeah. So like, that's pretty much all on my mom's side of the family, you know, where they, they were doing that. Um, but I didn't have any other place to go. I didn't have any other choice. So I kind of moved in there for weeks, got out of there as soon as possible. Um... And then moved in with some neighbors that I kind of met down the street, I had some kids and I was just walking home. Kids were just like, Hey, Chris, you want to play with us? And I'm like, how do you guys even know my name? They're like, we know you. <laughs> so, you know, I started having fun with them. And then like, eventually I started talking with the family more and they were like, just move in here. You can sleep on the floor. You know, there's, there's room for you. So I did that for a while. Um, eventually getting back with, you know, my ex again. And we had already had a big gather, so we were back together for a while, um, and things were going good. Mm-hmm. Things were going really good. I was actually driving city buses, got a B license, and and even during the time of the city buses, like, they, they gave me the most enthusiastic award, right, because I'm always so excited <laughs> and so hyper and so ready to go, and with the award, they were like, the reason why drug tests were invented, yeah. <laughs> but he's passed every single one, you know, so, you know, uh, Usually, if I'm on drugs, I kind of go into a corner and I hide and I isolate. And there's really no seeing me. There's no being around me. Um, so I was doing really, really good, and then I started working for my ex family um, over at a rental uh, equipment mm-hmm. rental company. Once again, found myself working 19 to 20 hours a day. Jeez. Um, yeah, with working so much, of course, again. They found me again you know they just they were just there and i was just like wow um yep so got to it again really really bad um me and her eventually split up once again um okay. she had left me for she says that they're not but they were raised as cousins mm-hmm. so she had left me for who she calls her second cousin um <laughs>
0: Sorry.
1: (laughs) It's okay. It's all right. Um, So, and of course we had, uh, from that point on, I had so much, so many problems trying to have a relationship with my daughter with her. Um, And To this day, Alyssa still, I rarely see Alyssa, rarely talk to her, she doesn't really want to talk to me. Her mom is always right there, always wanting to get involved, always wanting to blame everything just on me instead of letting letting me try to prove what I've become from this mm-hmm. day forth, you know, or from a few years ago. Uh, it's been really, really hard to try to keep a relationship with her and talk with her and be there with her. Um, so that two weeks later, I had met a girl at a gas station, <laughs> and I had actually was like, Hey, you're pretty cute. Can I get your number? You know, she gave it to me. And I was like, okay. You know, and the number had fallen between my seat. So I lost it for a few days. <laughs> and then I found it when I was cleaning out my truck and I'm like,
0: mm-hmm. Hey,
1: you're really cute. You know, or I, I text her, I call her. And she's like, she hangs up on me right away. Yeah. And she's like, she texts back. And she's like, sorry, I just didn't expect you were going to call. Like, You know, so we started talking and then <laughs> literally, literally the next day, she comes over and we were together for eight years from that point on. Um, But as we first started together, um, the first few months were really, really good. Really good. It was, you know, she was hanging out with Mason with my oldest and they, you know, I come home one day from work and they were cooking dinner and she had made breakfast for dinner and it was as black as my vibe cover, okay?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it was her first time really cooking, you know, and and she's like, Did I do a bad job? And I'm like, I'll order the pizza. <laughs> 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 so and she started crying and I gave her a hug and I told her it's gonna be okay. Um so the, the first few months, I mean it kind of went like that for the first few months, you know, it, it was really good. We hung out, we talked. Um right about the sixth or seventh month though, the fighting started. The 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 name calling. Um and this was on her part because she was raised in that type of environment. Right. Um and then her calling and then my drug use, it was not a good mixture because then as soon as she started putting me down, the first thing I wanted to do was go back to the drugs. Yep. So when you're kind of putting these two together, it, it's a very bad mixture. Um It was constant fighting, constant drug use throughout the next eight years. Um, I would get clean. I would stop using. She would stop fighting so much, but then she would start fighting again. Then I would start using again. Um, There was even to the point where even in the kids, she would, you know, say, hey, you're not a good father. You're a bad father. You're a horrible father. You know, you don't deserve to be a father. Um, When you hear words like that, already being an addict, you just kind of want to go use. Yeah feel low. You know, addicts need to feel inspired. They need to feel, yeah, it does. It hurts and it it hits you down. And it's like, you know, I'm okay with calling myself, but when other people are like, you're just a drug addict, you know, it it kind of really hurts. It's like, Hey, you know, I, I have a purpose just like you do. I have a life. I can be better. Um, so it it got to the point to where it was constant splitting up back and forth, splitting up back and forth. Um, (laughs) wasn't until right about, I would say, 2009, where DCFS got involved for the first time, um, where we were all split up. Um, and I had started going to church, Church uh, of the Open Bible in Palmdale. Right. Um, now, it was a good church. You know, so a friend had got me to it, he's like, you need to come to church. You need to come to church. You know, it was actually a longtime friend named Charles and his son. They're like, you need to come to church. You need to come. Come to church. And then eventually I started going. Um, so we had started going, and it was really good at first. Everything had seemed to stop, the drug use, the fighting. Everything was just at a complete... Standstill in my life for once and it felt like there was a lot of structure it felt really really good and, and i mind you at these times i've gotten in trouble i've gotten arrested for drug use and i had to do diversions and yeah. and everything else yeah. um, when we went to church you know they they you know they, of course they'd ask you know of course do i want to accept the holy spirit in my life and everything else and i said yeah you know let's do it you know um not really knowing what i was really getting into. You know, they were just kind of really, really fast about everything, you know, getting baptized, getting all this other stuff. So I really, yeah. I still really didn't have that much knowledge of what I was getting into at all. So I did. And during this time, you know, me and Marissa were going through counseling. And with DCFS, they wanted us to do counseling. So we did it. We were like, look, we want to do it spiritually with the church. They are like, okay, we'll accept it as long as you guys see a counselor at least once a month but you have to continue to give us progress letters so because i told them like you know we have spiritual you know way of belief of doing this and they, they can't reject that so they accepted it the judge accepted it um and during this time of course the fighting started here and there again and with marissa she asked me not to say anything to the to our friends, it was Ricardo and Yolanda about the fighting. They're like, "Don't say we're fighting. Don't say we're fighting." And I made the mistake because I shouldn't have protected it. I shouldn't have allowed it to go. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the that just made things worse. But then we got married, and the fighting continued a little bit. We moved in with her sister for uh, a a good six months. We were, you know, becoming roommates. We right. moved in there with their, you know, we moved it. We got a house, nice four bedroom house. Um, and when I was working for Sunbelt Rentals, I got injured and they had forced me to work literally on the job. Um, they forced me to work with the cast, driving truck, trucks, injured my leg even worse. Um, so I, they, they pretty much were saying, look, I'm just going to fire you, you know? So I did a lawsuit against them Yeah. for, you know, my disability on my ankle to mm-hmm. work because Stitches kept ripping and everything else. Um, they turned around and they gave me $185,000 for the disability. Wow. So me and Marissa bought a house, completely just cashed house, bought a house, um, off a lot of our debt. Um, we decorated the house. Things were up and down for, for a while. Mm -hmm. And I got to the point where I was about three and a half years clean. Um, while living at the house, but the fighting never stopped. It was constantly going, constantly going. Um, and my biggest mistake during the fighting was I would always walk away. And, and yeah, it's her fault for the fighting as well, but she'd kind of given me answers too on what to do, you know, Hey, maybe if I'm angry, just give me a hug, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, I was more prideful than anything. And I would just walk away. Hey, I don't want to deal with you right now. You're just, you're in a state, I don't want to deal with you. And maybe that would have changed a lot of things. Maybe that would have made a big difference if I would have just listened instead of just being prideful. Right. Um, so it got to the point where the drug use started again a little bit. Um, and actually, it's really, really hard. Not a little bit. That's really a bad understatement. It got to the point where it started really, really bad. Um it got to the point that point where the fighting had gotten even worse. The drug use had gotten worse. Um, because I had met some friends and they had taught me how to well one one friend had actually taught me how to for the first time ever shoot up. Mm -hmm. And you know, um with doing that, that my friend had taught me, she she had said, look. If you buy your own needles, don't ever take a needle from anybody. Don't ever share a needle. You'll live. You won't catch a needle. So I live by those three rules. I live by them to a T. Uh, Because you can go to Walgreens in California and they have what's called the safe needle program. Yeah, you can actually buy them for five bucks. You know, so it's like, yeah. So I live by those rules, like, tremendously. Mm -hmm. Um, And that made like the, the, the feeling that it gave you was, it was tremendous. And I thought it was the best feeling in the world. Um, so with fighting and then shooting up, of course, it got really, really, really bad. Um, a lot of the fighting holes in the wall. Um, she would constantly corner me, but instead of hitting her, I would try to hit the walls. I would put holes in the walls. Um, it got to the point where one night, and and I had blocked out a lot of my cousin's abuse as of that point. Yeah, I blocked it out. I just completely set up barriers. I didn't remember a single thing about it, and it didn't bother me. Right, and I was good. Um, yeah. Where she had pushed her way through a door, and I had just brought all those memories back, and I put her into a chokehold when she did not realize it was her, mm-hmm. and I was squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. And then she had just tapped and say, it's going to be okay." and then I let go realizing it was her. Um, I would actually went to treatment as of that point on, I started going to treatment, trying to go to drink high, trying to get you know to, 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 to get off the drugs. I was like, "I didn't really get off of this. like it, it was my addiction had come to a whole new level. Um, with me trying to go to treatment, her fighting was still going though um, and then it got to the point to where one night she was fighting with me so hard and hitting me, I'd actually called the cops. And the cops come. And in California, they, can, they get the calls in cop cars. So they right. hear everything that's going on. Yep. They hear everything that's going on right then and there. Um, the cops have come, and the girl instantly goes in, grabs her, handcuffs her, puts her in the car. Cause they'd already know what was going on. The guys were questioning me, um, as they were questioning me to protect her because the kids were looking right up at me. Right. And they were crying and the cop like, did she hit you? Cause they need to hear physically that they hit you. You know, they could see marks on my face. Right. They could see that. You no. Know, and I said, no, I hit her first. Oh. And yeah. Um, I had said that because I didn't want the kids to see her go to jail. So -hmm. the girl cop comes back in and she's questioning me. She's like, no, 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 we heard the call. We're not taking you to jail. We're not taking it. And and the girl cop was really upset. She was really upset. The fact that I wouldn't admit that I, that she hit me. Yeah. Um, So of course they called their watch commander and their sergeant over. Um, They come over and they're like, no, she's taught them. She's like, we're not taking him to jail. We're not taking the wrong person to go. No. We heard what was going on. Um, so they'd ultimately made the decision to say, hey, look, let her stay here, and we're going to let you leave. Grab your stuff, and you're okay to leave. So I did. I went to a hotel for a couple days. Um, about a week later, I actually had finally my surgery on my shoulder that I had been waiting on
0: because
1: mm-hmm. uh, uh, I couldn't even move my arm. I had a pinched nerve i couldn't even move my arm above my head and it really really hurt and i needed to get it done um and at that point i was clean for like three or four days um we get a knock at the door and of course it's Children's services again so they come in they're asking for all the medical reports for my shoulder and all this other paperwork saying that i'm going to treatment so with my left arm pretty much driving around, trying to get all these reports, um, I didn't put the car fully in park on a hill at one of the doctor's offices. So I opened the door and start to step out, take my foot off the brake. The car rolls back. Luckily, there's no other cars behind me, right. but the car kind of trembled over me a little bit. So I'm like, just screw this, and I went right back to the drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, of course, had tested me, and I tested positive, positive. Um, and then a lot of the times, I wasn't even showing up to the test after that point. Um, we eventually separated. We yeah. eventually just broke up. Um, I was just living in the house, and of course, all the friends that I was hanging out with again were just back in the house, and mm-hmm. it got to the point to where we started trying to fix up the house I was trying to get her back in the house I was trying to fix this this marriage that had no structure and I didn't know if it was going to be fixed or not well we turned around and we just actually stayed separated she didn't want to work on it she didn't want to fix it and during this time when all these guys were in the house and everything else I eventually got so depressed at that house to where I just kept letting more and more people in, and I let a family squat in the house. And um, right before the family squat in the house, though, right before the house was fully fixed up, we had a raid in the house because I was trying to get rid of everybody. I was trying to get rid of them. I was trying to just get the house back to normal. And I bought some jumpers too, like 8,000 worth of the bounce houses to try right. to rent them out. I was going to start my own business. and, like, hey, I can do this again. I can make this work. Um, and they turned around and they raided the house. I went to jail supposedly for running a dope house, which, <laughs> even in the police report, it, it says in the police report that informed informant Justin Perez placed the dope on the counter. Right. So, one of the guys that was working for the guys that was dealing for me or that I was actually dealing for had got caught and set up my drug dealer. Right. And my attorney was like, look, I can get you off of this. I can get you off. You could tell that this is not you. Um, you know, we could just do a quick turn. You're good. Um, and, and not to mention, let me go back a little bit too. a couple of weeks prior. I got stabbed seven times. Oh yeah. So, a guy was stealing my chargers out of my car and I caught him with it. And I was in the house with them over at a different house and they had turned around and I'd confront him about it. Well, he got in my face and cornered me and I felt threatened. So I hit him. Uh-huh. I hit him. I started fighting, um, not knowing he had a knife he stabbed me while he was hitting me. Uh-huh. And I didn't even know this until we got to the point to where we we're on the ground and I was hitting him and I just, all this blood was coming off of me. Literally just rolling off and just literally hitting him on the face, like just, just, or just splattering him everywhere. Um, I went to the hospital and got it, was like 96 stitches total. Um, he'd try to stab me in my heart, stab me in back of the head. He'd sl- slice right, you can still kind of see it too. There's a slice right where my eye is, right above. Mm-hmm. So, and then a slice here. Um, during this time, I mean, I do believe that God was protecting me this whole time, you know, that something yeah. was protecting. me. Um, so when I finally, you know, um, was in jail, my attorney was like, look, we can get you off. Um, I didn't show back up to jail or to court for the next hearing for being stabbed. They wanted me to, to testify against the guy. Right. So they held me under contempt of court. <laughs> so they threw me in county for 71 days. So I didn't want to testify. I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to be involved in it. You know, I was already involved in a lot of other things that could have been worse for me. Um, so they threw me in County for 71 days. And of course the house I currently own is being squatted in. Right. They currently are They're they're, the bounce houses are getting ruined. Time. I get out of jail. I try to go to the house. They're like, no, you have no control over this house. You can't this house. We're renting this house you know, and they'd already started receiving mail there and everything else. And of course the cops are like, you just have to start an eviction process. Yeah. So at that point I'm kind of just staying, you know, a few places here and there. And then I started dealing for a bigger guy that was from the other drug dealer because he was in jail as well. Um, A guy had tried to set me up and take the drugs from me that night. And when he had tried to set me up, I called the bigger drug dealer, the bigger what they call homies yeah. to come over and help me out. And um, they'd ask, well, who's trying to set you up? And I told them by his name. And then they showed me a picture of his, of, his, of his face. And they're like, is this him? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, he's a rat. You brought him with you earlier? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, okay. So they took me in the desert. And for about 15 minutes or so, 10, 15 minutes, it I kind of all went back as of a certain point. There was four giant, giant Mexicans, like huge. You could picture as tall as Chris, but even yeah. built, more built, not as skinny. Um, yeah. And they beat me to death. Uh, um, by the time that they had drove away, I'm just laying in the desert, just laying there and they're just kind of like, I need to get up and, but I don't want to.
0: So they thought you were dead. Die.
1: They thought I was dead. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they had actually crushed in my ribs, broke my arm, um, crushed in my throat. So I'm, and then my face just was unrecognizable. Mm. I, I, I couldn't even recognize it right um turned around and i finally got up and i started walking and crawling walking and crawling and by this time it's already like 5 30 in the morning the sun's starting to come up um walking by people and they're just looking right and it was about a mile and a half to this welding shop so it took a couple hours to get there i imagine so and i'm going through this trailer park. Yeah, and and this trailer park, people are just looking at me, but not a single person said, hey, are you okay? So as I finally get through the trailer park, I get to the welding shop. The welding shop, I open the door, and I ask him, I'm like, can I use your bathroom? And just, there's a whole group of these guys, and they're just like, you can see their faces. I remember their faces perfectly. You know, they're just like... Yeah, come on. So they show me where the bathroom is. Um, I don't know how long I was in there for because I just remember looking in the mirror and just my entire face was completely swollen. Both eyes were already black, uh, blood coming down everywhere. Um, And I just tried to wash off my face, and it hurt to touch it so bad. And then I'm realizing, I'm like, and I'm trying to breathe, and I'm just realizing I can't breathe. I, I can't. Um, I hear a knock at the door and I'm so scared to open that door. I don't want to open. It. Um, but I finally open the door and then all the guys are just right there, right there in a circle, and I'm just thinking, Oh God, what's gonna happen again? What's gonna happen? Like this happen again. Um, one of the guys just comes over and just taps me on the shoulder and he's like, Come on, let's go sit down. use some water, let's go sit down. So they get me over to a chair. And as of that point, I just fall over and I wake up and I'm in an ambulance and they're forcing air down my throat, Mm -hmm. literally forcing air. Like they have a new machine instead of just shocking you where it can just force air and get air into you. Um, We start, you know, the, the, the cops are there. They're trying to question me and everything. And then I remember the ambulance driver just sitting there saying, we're losing him. We need to go. We need to go. No more questions. So we get to the hospital. And I, I remember waking back up in the hospital. And I just look up and I see the doctor. And the doctor says, we need to incubate now. We're losing him. We need to incubate. Um, that's when I woke up about three days later in ICU. Mm-hmm. Um when I woke up in ICU, I just had this tube down my throat. Not able to talk. Um uh, barely able to see, barely, because my eyes are still swollen. They're still really, really swollen. They're I I am barely able to see anything. Um uh, and I remember just kind of feeling and noticing that my face wasn't as bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I just remember just saying, Hey, you know, God, I'm ready, you know just, I'm ready to surrender. Whatever you want to do, just do, please. You know, um, a couple more days later, they finally just remove the tube. Um, and I finally make my way back to the church of the open Bible. Right. I go back to the house that people were squatting with and they, they, they take me to a hotel and I still had enough cash to get a hotel for a couple nights for a night. Um, the next day it was Sunday and I'm like, just take me to the church, take me to the church. They looked at me and like, when I walked in those doors and they had just seen my eyes black and, and as skinny as I was, they were just like, wow. You know, I was like, I have nowhere to go. So they put me in a hotel for a couple days. Um, on the second day I was constantly calling Tarzana, constantly calling any other person that I knew to help me either get into a sober living home or into treatment. Um, on the second day, though, Tardana was not able to get me into inpatient. They tried so hard. They just did not have a bed available. Um, so they turned around, and a lot of people had called the Hanstead house. Yeah. They had called the Hanstead house like, no tomorrow. Hey, Chris needs a place. Chris needs a place. Chris needs a place. Um, it was either going to be the sober living, or I was going into a homeless shelter. Uh, so finally, with, after enough calls, the Hanstead house accepted me. The church went and dropped me off and I stayed there for about seven months, seven and a half months, um, going to outpatient treatment, three, I was going there five days a week. And then I was also doing meetings three times a day in a meetings, just constantly going, constantly going, constantly going. Um, I was caught, con- I was so active and, and most people aren't too happy about going into a sober living home.
0: Yeah, they're not,
1: they're like, yeah, yeah, I don't want to go to a sober they said that I had the smile on my face. Like it was from ear to ear, like the Joker. Like (laughs) I was, I was happy, you know, it was like a a kid being a Disneyland Um, because I realized I was finally going to not, you know, be homeless. I was going to be okay at this point. Um, People had started reaching out, you know, Um, as soon as I got there, they were like, Hey, are you hungry? You need food? I found such a loving, caring environment. Like they, they wanted me to do better. They wanted me to be good. And they nicknamed me the raccoon for having two black guys.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I was known as the raccoon. They were like, yeah, you were the raccoon. So um, I'd stay there for about seven and a half months, though, really active active in my recovery and participating. Um, it wasn't until I started working, though, at a car dealership again. And, and I prayed to God. I'd gone to the back, and I'm like, is this really what you want me to do again? Is this really where you want me to be? Is this really, you know, where I'm supposed to stay? And I'm like, just give me a sign, you know, something, anything. Yeah. So I walk out to the car dealership and literally a guy pulls up to the service drive and he's like, Hey, if you have anywhere else to go besides gay, cause he was mad because of the traffic, cause he was late. He was like, if you have anywhere else besides California, go get out of here. You don't want to be here. <laughs> so I kind of took that as a sign from God. I'm like, all right. You know, so I have a lot of family here in Montana. So I literally, you know, moved here from that point on, mm-hmm. um, and doing a podcast. I'll give them a few minutes.
0: You're good. It's all uh, good.
1: Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, so I, I moved to Montana, mm-hmm. you know, to, to change my life around and, 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 I got. In, I, I went to the church in in Church Hill, and it was a lot of older people at first. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of like, uh, "There's no younger people. There's nobody I can relate with here." Right. So then I, I went to I, I googled other churches and saw the Church of Christ and realized that there was a Church of Christ in, in in Palmdale or Lancaster that I used to go to for meetings. So mm. I went there and you know. I sat in the back and everybody kind of seemed really friendly at first, really helpful, really, you know, felt really good. Um, and of course, Chris kept asking me for coffee. Hey, you want to get some coffee? No, I'm good. You right. get some coffee? Like, I didn't really trust nobody. I didn't really, I didn't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually I said, yeah, let's go get coffee. That was about a year and a half ago. Yep. Um, and then it, you know, it's life has been really Uh, I've been volunteering at the home shelter because I've almost ended up there. Um, I try to help out as many people as I can in any way I can. Um, Just because I've had a bad past doesn't mean I can't care. And I've always cared about people. I've always wanted to go above and beyond for people, even if it's taken out of my own health. I've always wanted to be there. But, and then now it comes to today to where, You know, it's, I'm learning scriptures of the Bible, going to the church camp for the first time, got to see the waterfalls. Um, There's just been, it's been a tremendous experience.
0: So, do you feel then like you're where you're supposed to be now?
1: I have a feeling, yes. Even right now, since I actually recently quit Randash Auto Center, yeah. Just things were going on there, you know, but I feel that it was going to hurt my faith and hurt my sobriety to stay there right the way things that were going on there. So I, I still left, but I'm still working part-time for, for, you know, Nate and Michelle Alstrom, you know, the yeah. owners of Rose's pizza, you know, I'm still working part-time there. I'm making great tips, you know, and yeah. I still have a lot of money saved up. So, yeah. so I'm currently applying other dealerships. So,
0: so, so it wasn't, it wasn't the dealership per se. It was just some of the things that you felt for you personally.
1: Some of the people there. Yeah yeah Correct. the way that we, things were and we don't being need done. To name, yeah
0: we don't need to name them, so <laughs>
1: yeah, correct correct. yeah, yeah. And, and I even put on my Facebook, you know, because I have a lot of people from the dealership on my Facebook like a lot of the customers, yeah. you know, hey, I'm no longer working there, and they started putting down the dealership, and then I took that post down and I, I even put another post up saying, "Look, the previous post was not put anybody yeah. down. I don't want oh, to yeah. do that I don't Absolutely. want that on my Facebook. It, it's just to inform you if you need some service issues instead of messaging me or calling me, call them
0: you right. Know? Yeah.
1: You got to get in touch with them from here on out.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure that we were clear that wasn't the dealership. It's just, you know, it's funny. I always say the perfect business involves no people. So. (laughs) Yes. No, perfect church, no people. So, so, so long as people are involved, there's always going to be issues. And I don't think we can deny that. So, I mean, you know, the businesses themselves are not necessarily at fault. You're always going to find well, maybe not always, but the majority of the time, you're going to find a bad egg in there that's just going to, and you got to make a choice. And that was the choice you made. So, yeah. So, yeah. so here you are. Now, just a couple things. Uh, when you mentioned, and I didn't want to interrupt you, that's why I'm going to bring them up now. So, DCS was the Department of Child Services, correct? Correct. Okay. All right. And then, Chris, you made reference to Chris, obviously not yourself. Chris, uh, the reference he made to Chris was Chris, our preacher, Chris, who was about 6'5. So (laughs) (laughs) so when he said these big dudes about the size of Chris, he's talking dudes that are well over six foot. And, uh, so you've got this tremendous, okay, here's what I really want to point out. There's actually a couple things now for one really, and and answer this. Do you feel that without God, you could have made the things happen you needed to make happen? No. Okay.
1: Not without God. No.
0: Yeah. Okay, now now I can attest, now, you know, I'll be honest, Chris and I, you know, we haven't had a chance to really sit down and talk, talk outside of this interview, but I, I'm a people watcher and I do notice things and I have always noticed that Chris is very active. Chris is always very smiley, always very happy, always in a good mood and always willing to step up and, and help. And when I saw him at the youth rally, uh, telling his story it didn 't surprise now i didn 't know he had a story, but it didn 't surprise me that he would be sharing it it didn 't surprise me that he was actively involved, and I think that 's part of what Chris does to keep himself on the straight and narrow but a couple things I want to point out for one chris 's life does not reflect anything but new creation philosophy because new creation says i 'm a new creature, I can do this, I have Christ with me in me and I don't have to walk it alone. And that's exactly what you started doing once you realize that. And that's what you continue to do to this day. You continue to strengthen the flesh because the spirit is already together. All right. You're already melded with, with Christ and you know that the flesh can come into subjection as a result of that union. And that's yep. the way you live in your life. That's the point direction you're pointing. And, Here's something else. Yes, I totally agree. Depression is this huge issue and there are so many factors to depression that we don't even have time to talk about here. But choices. You had choices to make. Okay. You could have, you quite a few times you chose poorly, but you always came back around to making the right choice. So fail, 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 success, fail, 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 success. You were always, I think, based on your story, that you were always really, truly trying to move towards success. You just had some speed bumps. You had some stops. You had some things that really tried to get in your way, but you eventually found a way around. Yes. And so, and that's tremendous. So many people, you know, the, the culture these days, because I work, or I, I talk to so many faith based men. And it's like choice has been, we're trying to constantly find a reason that we don't have a choice and it's to justify poor behavior. That's all it is. Well, I have this condition. I have that condition. I, I don't do well with people. I, you know, I mean, take your pick. All right. But you found yourself almost beat to death in the desert. And did these guys ever come find you again? No, no. They just let it go.
1: They just let it go. As far as I know they did, you know, it's like
0: that was paid. Yeah. They probably, well, they probably figured if the dude survived that, we don't want to mess with him. So, <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, yes. but here you are in the, now these are, these are scenes that people see in movies and they don't realize, no, this stuff happens. All right. So you found yourself in the typical movie scene where you're in the desert. Nobody knows who you are. You're unrecognizable and welders took pity on you and we like, Hey, we have got to help this dude. Even though a whole trailer court full of people turned a blind eye. Yep. Choices. Once again, choices. They chose not to help you. The other the other men chose to help you. So once again, you could have given up. You had every reason to just cash out right there. You had you had every reason to be suicidal at that point. You had every reason to be down on yourself. You had every reason to push towards something negative. You had every reason to buy what the world was telling you about yourself. And you chose Otherwise, you put Christ in it. You push towards a new creation, whether I think you realized it or not. You understood, though, that as a Christian, that that made the difference. That makes a difference, and that continues to make a difference. It's what fuels what you're doing, and that those old decisions and those old those old experiences, they have definitely contributed to who you are today. But now, not in a negative sense. Now you have a tremendous story to tell that can change the lives of hundreds, if not thousands of men.
1: And that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that it just touches, you know, just one soul at least. Yeah. That's it. And And just to know that there's still hope.
0: And you and I can talk further uh, offline at some point about how, if you really want to get your story out there, you can. So. Okay. So.
1: And then also one other thing too, during during the youth rally, one of the kids had asked me, did you go back to the welding shop after? Mm. And after the answer is yes, I did. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I did go back and, um, I brought, you know, some, uh, I brought a cake and some cupcakes to them. Um, and then of course, one of the guys there were like, they told me, they were like, wow, they're like <laughs> we, we know who you are. We right. remember you. We remember that night. And this was a, about a month later. And, right. um, um, they were like, you know, they told me that, yeah, you know, and then they pointed out, you know, Cliff, he's like, Cliff's the one that actually gave you CPR while the ambulance was in route. Right. And kept you alive, you know, so, you know, and, and of course I hugged them all and I thanked them and, and I told them I, I, I'm grateful that they did what they did.
0: And I'm glad you brought that up because gratitude is key. And I think yeah. gratitude is a, gratitude is a tool that, quite honestly, most men have forgotten about. We get so wrapped up in our lives and our experiences that we forget to be grateful for even the smallest things. Gratitude can make a tremendous difference. And the fact that you went back there and showed those dudes gratitude shows a lot about your character, buddy. Yeah. a lot Yeah, him.
1: definitely. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, Chris, I want to thank you for coming on. If uh, anybody wants to talk to you or, or, uh, message you directly or, you know, kind of look at your story, where can they find you?
1: Um, well I'm um, you can find him on Facebook, Christopher Martinez, Manhattan, Montana. Mm-hmm. Pretty easy. You know, my face is right there. You can't miss me. So
0: <laughs> Yeah, I can attest to that. It is he is and
1: brilliant. then also the Church of Christ in Belgrade.
0: Yep, Church of Christ in Belgrade. Okay, so for everybody that's listening. I hope, uh, I hope you guys got something out of it. If, uh, if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook and you want to hear the podcast, you can find us on anchor iTunes, podcast, overcast, radio, public cast Box breaker, and Spotify. And as I always like to say about a million other podcasts, uh, platforms that I probably haven't even heard of. Also, you can contact us or find us on Instagram, Facebook, and like I said, YouTube, and it's all under the sedated man. If you want to talk to me directly, you can find me at Mike at the sedated that's Mike at the sedated now if you want the show notes for this one uh, I have a couple of scriptures there although we didn't go over them today I have a couple of scriptures there that pertain specifically to the new creation and you'll find those on my patreon page and that's patreon.com slash the sedated man and that's where all of the show past show notes and current show notes are a lot of tools and a lot of things you can use to uh, to help you get through whatever you're going through right now so With that, Chris, once again, thank you very, very much for coming. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure.